0: Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And we come at you with another Womp Womp Wednesday. A Womp Womp Wednesday for so many <laughs> discreet reasons. Uh, you know, we maybe we the tend- ultimate Womp Womp Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I think it may it never could get potentially- more Womp
1: Womp than this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's here's all I'll say on you know the 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 country and the election because I think that happened recently. Um, Whatever you're feeling is probably okay. Process it whatever way that you want. Um, but if you're happy and you want to keep this going because you thought it was a great win, then you know get active and do that. If you're unhappy because you hate the way it turned out, then get active and do that. Don't sit on the sidelines. Politics is a contact sport. So go do your thing, whatever that thing may be. Uh, and then find someone uh, and hug them just because, you know what, you might need it. So let's get to the rundown because we've got some stories that we got to talk about. We missed last week. Uh, we took a bye week as well. Uh, did not lose the bye week. Contrary to popular opinion on the Twitters, uh, that is impossible. Although if there is a team to do it, it would be the 2016 San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> let's start first with a, a story that's not yet in the rundown. I was going to type it, but then just didn't have time to. And that was this, uh, this story from KNBR. And the title was Source. Chip Kelly and Trent Balky are going to have a reckoning or a collision course at the end of the year. Um, and that was pretty much the crux of the story. And it was just like, well, they're going to kind of have at it for whatever reason. And we're not sure what that looks like because Balky might be fired. I thought it was interesting because it was the first, uh, the first leak, I think, of that nature. Uh, and then, of course, a couple of days later, we have this whole Balky and Chip Kelly have a great working relationship. So we're we're beginning to see the the rumblings of something going on at four nine four nine Centennial. We're just not sure exactly what.
1: the The thing that's weird is it doesn't like this didn't even really seem very leaky to me. Like this isn't similar no. to what happened like with with Harbaugh and like the whole year of of crap that le- like ultimately led to him getting fired. Um, it, it it like didn't imply that there's anything bad happening right now. It's just that like. Oh, there's gonna be something that happens at the end of the season because something has to happen. Like, I, yeah. I I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, almost certainly things aren't going to stay exactly how they are now, right? Like, the the likelihood. I mean, I think there's a lot of things in play, and we've talked about a lot. Like that, nothing really surprises us with this team uh, at, at this point. Like, uh, they're they're so far into the Tyson zone that like
0: I don't even know what we we call them at this point but we still haven't come up with a good replacement name for that and i think we should just call it the york zone (laughs) either that or the logan uh, zone
1: yeah i god i don't know um but but the i think likelihood of both of these guys still being around in 2017 right is probably uh lowest or you know at least among the lower scenarios it could play out so yeah i mean something's going to happen like I think that's pretty reasonable and uh, a a pretty logical conclusion to come to. I don't know what this report, you know, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, does or accomplishes at all.
0: Yeah, it was curious at best, but I don't think uh, and we've this is the position of the podcast and has been for some time more than likely going to see a change. uh, But what that exactly looks like, we're not 100 percent sure. So let's get then to a bit sadder or maybe not so sad news. uh, Basically, the injury front. Eric Armstead's season is officially over. The team placed him on injured reserve as a result of his shoulder injury. And then in other injury news, Will Redmond uh, is not activated from injured reserve, activated his practice window. Coaches said he was about 65, 70%, or 75 or 80%, some arbitrary percentage that the coach made up about the health of his knee. And so he has been shelved. That brings the grand total to a number of starts from Trent Balky's all ACL team to one. That was Tank Carradine at the beginning of the year. And there really are only two left on the roster. One was Reeser, and of course the other is Tank Carradine. But at the end of the day, I think given the way the season is turning out, all you can really say is, "Eh, it's probably for the best that these players get shelved because there's no reason to put them in harm's way.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially with Armstead, right? Like, you would assume that even uh, if there were to be some sort of massive change, you know, with the, the GM, the coaching staff, both, um, that he's still a, a player that's you know young and talented and still likely going to be somebody that whatever new regime came in is is likely going to want to build around defensively like he's going to be uh you know likely I think a cornerstone piece you know, no matter what happens uh, it would be pretty surprising for them to kind of uh you know move on from him uh even even with a new you know general manager and everything so uh yeah, I think looking at his long-term health, uh keeping that in mind is certainly important. So, it, the, the, this season's going nowhere obviously. There's no reason to have him out there. Uh he wasn't very effective when he was out there. The Redmond stuff is more just like, oh, of course. Like, of course this is what happens of of course this is the end result for uh taking a player that had a torn ACL in the draft again.
0: Like, of course. It's exactly what you would expect and it's exactly the outcome at this point and It's just more potentially mediocre cornerbacks for the team to play with next year. And at this point, I think with Redmond coming back next year, I think Dante Johnson, we're going to we're going to need some other vaguely sexual name to lean on for the better rivals drinking game next season. But you know what? I'm up for the challenge. I'm definitely (laughs) uh, 100 percent straight for that challenge. We will find a way (laughs) we will find a nature finds a way. What did we learn from Jurassic Park? Nature finds a (laughs) way. So let's get to this Saints recap then. And we always like to break down every game with just some biggest takeaways. We'll talk about our spotlight player and we'll uh, we'll talk about the stat of the week. So let's get right into it. And I think, again, this is the main story of this game was the fact that it looked early on like a shootout. And it looked early on like it was going to be at the arm of Colin Kaepernick. He put up some pretty big numbers. He had 398 yards. He completed over 60% of his passes, which is a rarity in San Francisco these days. And it's he threw for 398 yards, second most passing yards of his career behind only the 2013 opener against Green Bay. And it's only the second time this season, the second goddamn time the 49ers have even topped 200 passing yards. Yeah,
1: not 300,
0: uh, 200. Yeah, 200. Yep. Mm -hmm. Jay Jai has more 200 yard performances <laughs> running the ball than the 49ers <laughs> passing it Good. Or, or as many. he's got the same exact amount he's got the same um, amount so yeah talk, talk to me, David, not... a bit about the cap's performance in this game and and why the numbers seem big, but perhaps they're, they're a bit of a mirage.
1: yeah, so I think there's uh, you know kind of something. It's simultaneously not as good, but also has some positive signs you can take away from it, right? So, so getting to kind of the not as good as it looks stuff first. I mean, I think a, a, a big part of it is one we saw some issues continue, right? The accuracy continues to be a major problem for him, um, and, and really had a number of throws that just weren't all that close, like that that were pretty off target. Um, And then he had a lot of those yards come from uh, what were ultimately like very short, easy, not impressive throws. Right. When you're uh, when you're looking at this from the quarterback's perspective and and trying to, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, like grade how he's doing. Right. Like judge that performance. You have to consider a lot of different factors. And part of it, when he's throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage and that goes for 50 yards like that's not really Uh, uh, much to do with him or his performance right like that didn't really contribute to the success of that play a whole lot so uh when you look at some of the specific numbers so in this game they had a lot of big plays um you know as you would expect for a a near 400 yard passing performance six plays uh that went for a total of 20 yards or more those six gave us a grand total of 216 yards so 54 percent of his overall total on, on just those six but on those six throws 182 of those yards Came after the catch. Um, only two of them traveled more than ten yards in the air. And when you looked at the other four, so those two were both to Garrett Selleck, uh, and then the other four actually had nearly identical yardage uh, total and after the catch. Uh, like two of them were actually thrown behind the line of scrimmage. The the kind of fly sweep looking play to Patton, uh, and then the touchdown pass to uh, to to Harris was behind the line of scrimmage as well. So you you had nearly all of that production coming at the hands of one, some of the 49ers skill position players, uh, you know, making some things happen after the catch, which is a really weird sentence to say right now. Uh, And then, you know, also the saints defense being really, really bad. And I think, you know, you have to have that qualifier in there. Uh, It's obviously still kind of a, a a big deal and kind of a change of pace for the 49ers to even have success against bad defenses. So uh, again, I think that's a, a kind of a notch in the positive column there, but you have to, you can't really look at this performance without mentioning that qualifier.
0: Um, well, I think even, and one of the things that I saw too, I remember when Cap threw that swing pass to DeWan Harris and I was about to tweet something along the lines of, oh man, that was a great decision by Cap to kind of go to his check down because he knew that yeah. everything was covered and, and it was a great pass and allowed DeWan to get out um, because the Cap was getting some pressure in the pocket. And then I stopped myself and I thought, that's actually just what, like, regular quarterbacking looks like. Th-
1: right. that,
0: that's like, just normal. We shouldn't <laughs> say, like, oh, that's, really, that's a really great decision by cap. No, that should be the expectation for a quarterback to feel that pressure, know where your outlet is, and throw the ball to that outlet that allows them to make a play. So I, I agree that, yes, the ball doesn't travel. That, that, or I rather, we shouldn't make it like, oh, it's such a, a great throw that's just what basic quarterbacking looks like. And it's been a while since we've seen it in San Francisco. It's been a couple of years. So I think when we see that, we're like, Oh, that's so great. When in reality, it's, it's just what normal should look like.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of times, at least for me, when I'm, when I'm watching Kaepernick play, especially, um, I, I try to kind of compare to what he's done before, right? Areas, you know, have a pretty good feel at this point for what he does well, what he doesn't do so well. Um, and so you mentioned things like that, like finding the check down, right? Like, yeah, that should be a pretty normal thing for him. It never has been right. Like that's never been a thing that he's done consistently, even when he's been playing very well uh early in his career. So, you, you know, again, you can take some positive signs there, but it, it ultimately, like, was this a, a an overly impressive performance from him just because he threw for 400 yards? No, Um, but kind of moving to, I guess, some more positive things and looking at how uh, those yardage like how those yards came about due to some things that they were doing offensively. uh, I think there were some good things to there that you had. So one that we've been calling for, I think for, for most of the season now uh, has been kind of the, the use of some more RPOs or run pass options. Um, This was something that we expected to see fairly heavily, you know, from the time that chip was hired, because this is something that he's done, you know, all throughout his career. Uh, and we just didn't really see it a whole lot early on um you know it was there every once in a while you get maybe one or two a game but it wasn't really a major part of the offense and I think we saw them take a step towards that being a more significant part um you know this week Patton had a couple of uh passes that went for pretty big gains um on on run pass options there so they had some success and it it really sets up some easy throws for your quarterback right like Uh, A lot of teams are going to be playing man coverage, going to be loading the box up a little bit because they know that the 49ers want to to try to run the ball, at least even if they're not going to be all that successful with it. Uh, And their passing game just really hasn't, you know, been much of a threat. So there's no reason to play uh, many snaps with two safeties deep. So you you see, you know, a lot of these single high man coverage looks. And if you can get them biting on the run, I mean, you can get some very, very easy throws for your quarterback that pick up positive yardage. So we saw that in this one. Um
0: similarly and We also we, saw more yeah. play action, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so in the first two weeks, it was kind of surprising. They uh the first two weeks that Kaepernick was back as start, I should say. Um, less than twenty percent, um, you know, just shy there of of the total dropbacks came off of play action, um, which is a, a relatively low number for Kelly. Like usually his teams are uh, you know, a little closer to like the 30% mark is is kind of where they hover. Um, and that was where we saw them get to this game. So uh, he was using play action on just under 29% of his dropbacks, uh, ended up completing 81% of those throws and averaged 12.4 yards per attempt on play action passes. So they got him, uh, a lot of them were rollouts as well. So, uh, you know, getting him out on the move, yeah, getting him in put space him on the move a bit more. Yeah. And if you remember, like when we talked about, uh, last year after the season opening, it's Minnesota, right? Like that was, uh, he looked pretty good in that game. Like it wasn't great production, but he was like pretty efficient and, um, you know, generally did okay, like move the offense, uh, like like they needed to, um, and a a lot of it was set up from throws like this. So I think right now this is uh something that he can do well, something that he feels comfortable with, um, and these are the sort of tweaks that again can can help your offense get a little bit more production, even if it doesn't mean that you're getting uh all that much better play from your quarterback.
0: And we also saw a running back screen that worked, right? Like this is something that it is not often seen and hasn't been seen in San Francisco. They did not run screens under Jim Harbaugh, just flat out, mostly in part because the offensive line couldn't block for it because he had the big ass offensive line that just mauled people. Uh, and and now you've got a coach that can run some screens, but usually runs wide receiver screens. And we talked about it. I think the last time in the last game that we broke down where Patton just ran away from his blockers and it <laughs> so he can't even run a wide receiver screen all that well, but we had a running back screen that worked in this game as well. So, There are definite, there there are layers being added to the Chip Kelly offense, even if they are layers that we kind of expect and you go to, uh, you know, one part of the offense a bit more in one week and then you dial it back another week. this, This is not a static defense. This is not a defense that is, or I'm sorry, this is not a static offense. It's not an offense that's just doing one set of things over and over and over again. They clearly have a suite of items and they're picking and choosing which ones to use in a given game. Now, one of the other stories of the week is really the or one of the other things that we noticed was the second half collapse. This was a game that we felt we were in in the first half. It was going back and forth and we got the ball back at the beginning of the second half and we drove right down the field and all of a sudden you get down to the one yard line and similar script, different week. You've got a fumble, team turns around, scores the touchdown. Now the game all of a sudden feels to get out of hand. And this is something that the team has been struggling with all year. They've only scored 10 third-quarter points all year. I think it might be up to 13 if they scored a field goal in the third quarter against New Orleans. I'm not sure that they did. But even then, you're talking about eight games, 10 or 13 points. That's basically one, roughly, one or more point per quarter over the course of the season, which is not good. (laughs) So the question I think that I've got is... What is behind this second half collapse? Is it is it getting out coached? Is it not making adjustments? Is it players getting tired? What explains this crumbling of the team come the second half?
1: So I think first, um, it's important to note that it, I don't think that it's really a second half thing. Like this is is really seems to be more of a get off to a decent start and have a solid first quarter and then just become the bad team that you are for the rest of the game. Right. So, and, and I think that we see, you know, a few different, um, you know, kind of theories, I guess, that are thrown out for this or things that people want to pin this sort of performance on. And, uh, you know, I think the most common one's probably the coach thing, like, or, or the, uh, lack of second half adjustments, which in and of itself is, is kind of a thing that, uh, I think a lot of people, understand the magnitude of, of adjustments that are made at halftime like there's not really much the, you know they're not making sweeping changes in, in the second half you know, this isn't so we something... talked
0: about game planning based on bill belichick's book on building an offensive game plan at the beginning in the offseason right that was part of our scheme week and one of the things that really stuck with me was how he talks about the the scale of plays you have to put into your game plan it's not like you have the full suite of plays at your disposal for any given game. You install a certain number of plays that are part of your plan. And you can move within that plan, but that's still a subset of your overall set of plays. You you know, it's very rare that you call a play that you haven't practiced and isn't in the game plan. Does it happen? Yes, it does. And we have notable examples of that happening. But it usually doesn't. So it's usually a, a slight variation from within the plays that you already installed for that week. So when when you think of second half adjustments, I think everyone thinks of such a huge, big, sweeping thing, when in reality, it's probably just calling another kind of play more often or setting something up in a way that you didn't anticipate initially. Um, And and so it's not as big or as huge of a deal as I think most people make it out to be, like it's some panacea that's going to solve all.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think usually the sort of things that you would be looking at, right, is like, OK, maybe against this particular defense, uh, we want to lean pretty heavily in the run game on inside zone and this new counter play that we've been kind of running this year. You know, those are kind of going to be our two core um, run plays. And then after the first half, we see that they've made some adjustments to the counter play. So, OK, maybe we're not going to go to that quite as often in the second half. We're going to lean more on the inside zone, right? So it's, it's little things like that, like they're not making sweeping changes they just don't have time like this just there's you you listen to players talk about how halftime goes and a lot of times like they don't even speak to coaches at halftime like the the coaches get in there they try to you know talk about what what's going on talk with their position groups maybe a little bit and it's like there's there's like five ten minutes in there
0: that they have to do these sort of things and then they're back out on the field like and now they don't have to deal with an elevator getting stuck right cuz like before a candlestick i i remember greg roman talking about how he was lucky to get to the locker room before he had to turn around and go back
1: yeah like the, so there's just not the time to to make these big changes and again you have your plan you've done all of this work uh in the week leading up to the game you're not going to just throw all of that away uh because of one half so you're you're making smaller adjustments um and the odds of like one of these adjustments making a big swing in the game is is just really pretty low. So i i don't think that it's it's that. I think the way that i would honestly frame it is is again this is a really bad team. I mean, i think that's pretty obvious. Um the fact that they're competent at the beginning of games for even a quarter sometimes like that to me is a kind of a minor miracle. Like the fact that they're able to find something uh, they, they can have this team, like this offense, move the ball for a quarter, uh, or this defense stop anyone for a quarter, uh, is, is really kind of more impressive to me. I mean, obviously you can look at that however you want to, and you can, you can take whatever perspective you'd like, but, uh, I I don't know that there's a right answer there. Like, I don't think that there's one thing that you can point to, um, as to why these sort of trends are happening beyond like this just isn't a good team. They don't have good players, and this is what bad teams look like.
0: And we mentioned it before, but it's it. in order to be this bad, you can't pin it on one thing. It is a failure at multiple levels in terms of talent. Uh, it's a failure at multiple levels in terms of organization. It's, it's, you really have to try hard to be this bad. <laughs> and, and the 49ers are trying real hard. I think what's interesting about their splits is if you just look at their first quarter, Their first quarter offensive and defensive splits, they look damn good. This is a team that, based on DVOA, is ranked 8th in first quarter offense and 13th in first quarter defense. That, of course, then begins to plummet as the game goes on. And for the defense, anyway, their third quarter defense is actually better than their first quarter defense but then it plummets again in the fourth quarter as well. Uh, and of course, the offense takes a precipitous decline in the, in the second and third quarter. So this is a team, I would say, that it's not getting out outcoached in the second half. I would say it's the marvel of its coaching that has put it in a position to win in the first quarter. And when you think of the, the game scripts and the preparation, that's most apparent in the first quarter early in games. And that's when the team is at its best. And that's when I think that, you know, I think that's what shows prowess in terms of coaching, not the other way around. Now, the other theory is that they get tired. Of course, this is the albatross that has been slapped or rung around the neck of any kind of Chip Kelly offense. And you had, of course, the big stat that Chip Kelly's defense has played three more games per season than a regular defense. And so that's why they suck, because they're getting tired. These elite conditioned athletes that have trained all offseason season can't handle an extra four or five plays a game that you can't do it, man. Can't (laughs) win with them. Real tough. can't do it. Yeah, it is. Uh, So dug a little bit into the number of plays that they're running compared to league average. And in the first half across the league, teams are running about 31 point about they're running 31.6 passes, about 32, 32 plays, sorry, 18 passes, 13 runs. Uh, So about 32 plays a game. The 49ers are seeing a little North of 36 plays a game uh and they're seeing more running plays than they are more passing plays. Across the league, you're seeing a 60-40 pass run split. The 49ers are seeing a 55-45 pass run split. And and you're like, "Okay, well look, they're getting five more plays a game. That's probably why they're they're so tired come the second half because they're playing five extra plays." Uh and in reality, that I mean the pace stats don't aren't sustained this year. Chip Kelly is not running his offense as fast as he normally does. The reason they're likely seeing more plays is because they the 49ers offense is only averaging five point two plays per drive and they go three and out nearly 30 percent of the time. So the defense is seeing more plays because the offense is just not good.
1: Yeah, I mean, we and, saw the same thing last year, right? Like this isn't a, a new thing. The 49ers defense saw uh, I think they were in like the top three, if I remember correctly. I mean, it was it was high, whatever, like the final ranking was, they they were among the league leaders in in plays faced. Um, on the defensive side of the ball and that comes from uh, nothing stylistically about like how they choose to play it is because their offense is terrible and can't sustain drives and their defense is terrible and can't get off the field Um, and you have those two factors you're going to have a lot of plays defensively like that's just how it's going to work Um, you're going to be playing from behind a lot which means that teams uh, are going to slow things down in the second half. They're going to be running the ball a lot more frequently, which leads to higher play counts. So you have all of these factors that just result from them being bad and not any sort of schematic or you know philosophical choices that they're making that are leading to this. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it here because we spent a lot of time when Chip was first hired talking about whether the the pace that he plays at has a negative impact on his defense and, and there just wasn't any evidence of that in Philadelphia. Um most year like I think in his first two years in Philadelphia, uh his teams were actually better late in games. Um their DVOA ratings uh were higher in the second half, higher in the fourth quarter, um, which you might argue uh that was due to the extra conditioning that they do from the pace that they play and practice at. Um Not sure that I want to draw that conclusion entirely, but hey, it's something to to, to consider there. So um, yeah, there's just not a lot of evidence that it had that sort of negative impact beyond the overall um, play counts. They didn't have a higher number of injuries. They were one of the healthiest teams in football each year that he was in Philly. Um, So I don't think that we can draw a lot of conclusions from the numbers that we're seeing this year beyond, again, this is just
0: a bad team. So long story short, at the end of the day, all of the platitudes you want to use at the beginning of one of these sentences. The team's just not very good. The chances are they're not getting out of coach. As a matter of fact, it's coaching that's sustaining any kind of first half success. Uh, they're not really getting tired just because there's not they're not seeing an outsized number of plays such that it would increase it would increase their drop in production in the third quarter. Um, it's just probably they're not very good. So Let's get to then the spotlight player of the week, and this is someone that I noticed actually get some defensive stops in the run game. It's not something you see often at this point. If a running back facing the 49ers defense uh, is hit anywhere near the line of scrimmage, you're a little befuddled. You're baffled. You're, You're wondering why. And the reason why this week was because of the return of one Mr. Glenn Dorsey. This is a defensive tackle who is now seemingly back to close to health or full health, and he had three stops this week against the new orleans saints and uh, that's good i think it just further proves the point that it's not like it's i mean it's it's partially i think jim o'neill and his defense at this point but he it's certainly not helping that the 49ers just don't have good players in the trenches to stop the run because when you do see one like glenn dorsey he actually does stop the run
1: yeah i mean he's one of the only guys that uh i think has looked even average you know against against the run which is a pretty high bar for this run defense right now um so yeah i I think you know it's kind of noticeable when he's in there uh unfortunately like with run defense in the and why like even those occasional stops right or like one player um being a quality above average run defender just really doesn't move the needle that much is because you know how much uh, run defenses really just relies on the entire front, like doing their job and filling filling the gap assignments um, and getting off blocks and doing everything. And, and if you have one guy even, you know, kind of mess that up and uh, either misses gap responsibility or fail to, to disengage from a block, like you're, you're going to give up some big gains. So uh, well, you had
0: that 75 yard run, right? That was in uh, that was in most of the reports where it was one guy who went the wrong way on the defensive line. And and he and I think it was actually Quentin Dial who went the wrong way. The defensive line was moving to the left. He went to the right. It left a gap exposed. And it was the gap that Mark Ingram found likely because they were running into it. Uh, and again, so just happenstance. And all of a sudden you've got a 75 yard touchdown run because yeah, one guy it was is not that in his simple.
1: Gap. Like uh, it, 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 that's all that it takes. And, and a lot of times I remember talking early um, because early on, I didn't think it was like necessarily this complete and and total failure right of the front seven to stop the run like oftentimes they were doing a fairly solid job and you saw some decent individual performances right like I think um, Buckner was a little bit better against the run early on you know dial was a little bit uh, better in those early weeks and so you see some players like that like Dorsey now um, that are doing a decent job and, and are kind of filling their responsibilities um, and it's just not enough to to get it done because you know you have one of those breakdowns and you you have big runs that that result so um yeah i thought though it was uh it was definitely encouraging to see him in there and to see somebody you know doing something positive uh though i guess you know our stat of the week this week i feel like we've had quite a few run defense related ones it's hard to really move away but uh it just continues to be kind of uh hilariously bad at this point so according to espn stats and info uh the 49ers are now the first team in nfl history nfl history to allow a hundred yard rusher in seven straight games um
0: love it let's do it stuff let's find rock bottom drill a hole and get further down uh (laughs) because that's how we roll as san francisco 49ers fans so that about wraps up the the game against the saints it is again another story of I think you know coming up against a, a bad defense, you expect to see some production from the offense, and that's exactly what you saw. It wasn't enough because Drew Brees is playing out of his freaking mind again. The guy's playing bananas football, and well, so four this is
1: turnovers. A, um, that, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that helps. Yeah, being uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to win if you if you don't win the turnover battle. So, all in all, I think it's the game that played out just about how we expected, and here we are. One and seven feels like number one draft pick heaven. If we could just get Cleveland to lose a freaking game, lose a game, dude. Win a game. It's the other way around. Obviously, get to uh
1: to the, the the upcoming game against the Cardinals here, um, which probably isn't gonna go well because that's how things are are going at this point. Um just quickly though, like is there a single game left on this schedule that you can think they, that that, that they will win. I mean, I think it'll probably happen just because, you know, shit happens sometimes. Um, but I don't know which one of those games, like, so the, the, the slate that we have left, which now, and this is, again, this was, we were just finishing the stretch, that was supposed to be better
0: winnable. Yeah. Right.
1: Like, so we just had of the last, uh, let me see, uh, five games here. Four of them were at home and two of them came at home to the bucks and the saints who aren't very good came against a, you know, a down year for the Cardinals. Um, and then, you know, their one road game was against, uh, against Buffalo. So, uh, you know, this was the stretch here where they didn't have to travel a whole lot, getting some kind of not great teams at home. Uh, and they couldn 't capitalize, and now, over the rest of the year, so we 've got what one in seven got eight so games we're...
0: left yeah you 've got eight games left five only five on the road yeah. two of them yeah, only only three of them are at home, um, yeah because you 've got uh, at Arizona, you get the Patriots at home, which is going to be a <laughs> shit show you 've got the Dolphins, the Bears, the Jets at home, the Falcons, the Rams, uh, and then you 've got the Seattle Seahawks at home, honestly, I the only game on this slate that I think is winnable is against the Rams because Jeff Fisher going to Jeff Fisher. And I think I think maybe the Jets, although I think Matt Forte is going to... He's probably going to get 200 yards against the 49ers defense. <laughs> he's looking good, man. He found some... Not in the Youth Juice or something. Yeah,
1: I mean, so that... I think maybe the Jets game is, like, the one that you point to, right? Because you can see a situation where all of a sudden they're starting... Um, I don't know. Who do they have left? Is it just Hackenberg and Petty or, like... I, yeah, I, mean, I
0: think I think it's the Bryce Petty show at this point.
1: So... You could see like a scenario where, uh, you know, whoever is starting at quarterback for the Jets throws like five interceptions and, uh, you know, just just single handedly like goes out of his way to lose that game. Uh, And they just get a lot of a a lot of kind of random breaks there, like maybe. um, But I don't know how they. Yeah, like they're they're not going to there's not a single game left where we're going to predict that they might win. Like they're not going to be nope. favored in any of these games. They're not going to be even close. They're we're going to get to this. They're two touchdown underdogs, underdogs. Like to, against yeah.
0: Arizona this week. So uh,
1: well, don't give away real, the farm real, yet. We got to yeah. keep them
0: coming back. We got to keep them coming back. So let's let's get to some NFL quick hits though, because it's real fun to talk about the NFL <laughs> at large because it's an interesting interesting year. Uh, so if you're not familiar with this format, this is where we just loft questions to each other and try to get through this segment six questions in ten minutes. Number one, David, the Raiders, the Raiders, the Richard Bayless's new favorite team, that bandwagon jumping mother. Uh, the, the Raiders will win the AFC West, true or false?
1: I think you kind of have to go true at this point. I mean, uh, you know, they've they've looked good. I don't know that they've looked quite as good as their their record says, but those wins are banked. You know, like they they have those. um already in in the book they're not going to lose those seven wins like uh and they have i think wins over each of their divisional opponents already right like they have let me pull up oh no they did lose to Kansas City so maybe you know you can see that one but they they beat Denver already um beat San Diego so i mean they're certainly in a good spot um Derek Carr looks pretty solid like yeah
0: i i, I think that's a pretty uh, realistic probability at this point uh this is not the next question but it's one i'd like to slip in does Derek Carr wear eyeliner I mean, it, uh, maybe like yeah, right. I
1: don't, there's a greater than zero
0: chance that he wears eyeliner. Yeah, <laughs> greater than zero chance. Jesus. All right. Uh, question number two. I'm going to go ahead and tackle the first three. Question number two. Uh, the AFC West, we're going to stay in that division. They will send three teams to the playoffs, true or false. Oh, man, let me quickly look at the standings here. What do we got? OK, so all three teams um, have six wins. You've got, I think, yeah. the both the Raiders or all three of the Raiders, the Chiefs and the Broncos have six wins. Of course, the Raiders are on top because they've got the wins Two, I think they're two and one in their division. Uh, but then you've got the Broncos and you've got the Chiefs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think right now the the AFC South, the AFC East certainly only sending one team. Um, so at that point you would have to be banking on if, if they're not going to send three um, that somebody from the AFC North is going to uh, kind of improve fairly drastically over the second half of the season and and kind of make it run there. Somebody like Cincinnati, Baltimore. Um, I mean, I think Pittsburgh, as long as Roethlisberger doesn't end up out for a, a significant length of time here again, like is probably going to take that division. So uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, they certainly have the probably the best division in football, top to bottom at this point. I mean, I think you could. The, the, we're not too. It wouldn't be too crazy of a scenario for San Diego to like for for some crazy things to happen. San Diego to start getting some more breaks than they have, and for them to make a run. Like every team in that division, you know, could push for a wild card spot. So yeah, I think they. I think they probably
0: will send three teams at this point. All right, and our weekly Vikings update. Of course, Norv Turner unexpectedly steps down. True or false? The Vikings are better off without Norvell Turner.
1: Uh, false. They they will be would be better if they had uh, offensive tackles. <laughs> if they just had them, if they existed, they would be better off.
0: All right. Do you want to switch over and start asking questions? Or you just want to have me go through the last three.
1: Um, let's uh, let's let's switch it over. So um, let's do a little bit of fantasy football talk here. Uh, should you trade for Todd Gurley? I mean, obviously, things have not gone well um, for the Rams and for Gurley. He's the only guy that we've held under 100 yards this year, um, which is a miracle. So, uh, do do you see that, uh, that, that kind of flipping over the second half? Is this a a buy low opportunity or is,
0: is he just kind of suck because of everything around him? Everything name recognition wise says, absolutely. Um, go and get him. I'm, I'm not sold on the proposition. Here's why I think if you have two good running backs and you're looking for like a flex spot or something like that, you go and get him. Here's, here's the case for going for Todd Gurley. He's going up against defenses like New Orleans, Atlanta, and San Francisco. New Orleans, despite their what they did in San Francisco, is not a very good defense. Atlanta is giving up a ton of yards to the other running backs in San Francisco. Well, he could throw up two hundred yards, but at the same time, only guy we kept under hundred yards. Right? Didn't have success in at Levi Stadium. It's probably going to be a little different uh, in in St. Louis, or I'm sorry, in Los Angeles. So I would say if you need a flex and you need to get like 10 or 11 points from your flex and you're okay with that, do it, trade for him, buy it. If you're looking at him to fill in like an RB one, RB two, stay away, go get like Jaquiz Rogers or something when he comes back or Doug Martin, something like that. Yeah. I don't want any part of that.
1: Um, Also another NFC question. So uh, true or false, New Orleans, um, who is now four and four,
0: will catch the Falcons at six and three currently. Everything I know about the Falcons says that they are paper tigers because that's what they've been every single year. And I think that Atlanta has Atlanta is a bad matchup for New Orleans because Atlanta needs a team that can go toe to toe and score 36 points. And New Orleans can do that. And they're one of the few teams I think that can do that And, and they can match them score for score. New Orleans also, in the first half of the season, had the ninth hardest schedule based on DVOA. That now goes to 24th. So if you're looking for that team to have that that storyline, it's like, oh, it's the second half surge, and they put things together, and they're rallying behind Drew Brees, and he knows it's its last go, and Sean Payton loves Molly, or whatever the hell the storyline is going to be, <laughs> then you look to the New Orleans Saints, I think. And, and while I don't think they catch them, I do think they make it really interesting by the end of the year, and I think that the the Falcons are going to be uh, sweating a little bit.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it would surprise me that much. I mean, I think Atlanta uh, might be a little bit better than you're giving them credit for, but it, it's just, you know, a pretty unimpressive, like, top of the NFL in general, right? Like, I think you have uh, New England, who when they're playing, you know, at their best is is uh, is pretty good, but uh, you know Dallas has looked good, but you still have questions about their defense and and how that's going to be able to hold up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think Atlanta, like in in a league where there's no like really truly balanced teams, I think their offense is good enough to you know compete with the the level of competition that they have. Like I think they're more likely to hold up uh, facing defenses like the Eagles, like the Vikings, like the Seahawks um, than than some of these other teams in the NFC. So. I think they kind of hold on there. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, just with the quality of competition in the NFC, like, it wouldn't surprise me that much to see that gap narrow. Um, all right, last one. Uh, week 10, Fulcrum of the Year. Last year, Eagles 4-4, and Seahawks 4-4. and um, Kind of, I guess, touched on this a little bit with, uh, with, with the New Orleans talk there, but which team is going to uh, make a second-half push here? Like, kind of uh, get out of that, that mediocrity uh, that all the teams that seem to be at, like, seems like half the leagues at 3 and 3 or 3 and 4 yeah. 4 and 3 4 and 4 whatever yep. how many games we played um like who's going to kind of separate themselves
0: from that pack and make it run i think you look at three targets right one you look at tennessee two you look at san diego and three you surprisingly look at the los angeles rams the reason i th- i think tennessee is because you've got basically they could they could actually put some stuff together. Marcus Mariota looks like he's putting some items together. You've got offensive weapons there. They're also in a division that they can win at seven and nine. Yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's that's the big one for sure. That's not a good division. It just isn't. And you've got San Diego, who seems to finally have figured out how to not crumble at the end of a game for two games straight. And then you got the Rams who could have a new quarterback in like a week or two. And that quarterback could actually end up helping them as the season goes on. So I think for, for my money, it's either Tennessee or San Diego. And I, I want, I, I, I would be okay with either of those teams being good, but I want San Diego to pull it out.
1: I want (laughs) San
0: Diego. I want to see more Phillip rivers, Bolo tie. I want him to have like a 19th child just out of joy from winning the playoffs uh, or from winning, getting through the playoffs and winning games. I just, I don't want to see Phillip rivers waste away for his entire career in San Diego and then have that team go to LA and, and be another stupid LA team. So I think for the sake of just Phillip rivers, I hope the chargers put it together and I hope they end up winning. I hope they get to the playoffs and I hope they make some noise, man, because I think that the AFC, you look at the top teams in the AFC and it's it's the Patriots and everyone else. And I would love to see a Philip Rivers, Tom Brady duel somewhere in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, that would definitely be the most fun. I'm kind of surprised that you uh, mentioned the, the Rams over the Cardinals. Like, I think at this point, um, I, just from a pure, like, talent perspective, like, oh, yeah, I, I would coaching. be. Um, yeah, right. And that uh i i think you know I don't know that it happens but i if i were to try to identify a team in the n f c um that might be able to do that sort of thing, i think I would probably lean a little bit more towards the cardinals and somebody like the Rams because you know even though they're changing your quarterback maybe and and you're gonna have a uh not case keenum in there like which is you know always a good thing um they're still you know inserting a rookie in there which uh is is kind of its own separate animal um so I don't yeah, I don't know. I think there's there's not a lot of great candidates there. I mean, San Diego's got a tough road. I think if I had to pick the most likely though, I think Tennessee makes a lot of sense just because that division is so so terrible.
0: Yeah, that division's awful. Um and I do want I I've been to the city of Nashville. It's a fun city. That stadium is fun. Um I think the franchise um could use a a little lift and and I like I like how they play football just generally and not just cuz of Delaney Walker. <laughs> so, let's get to the Cardinals preview then. And let's talk about three things to watch in the game this Sunday. And first things first, really, and we, you kind of touched on it here at the end of the NFL Quick Hits, right? Is this the game where Arizona begins their springboard back to relevancy, right? This is the story for teams that face the 49ers. They're down in the dumps. They're on the skids. They're some other old sports thing that was used in newspapers in the 80s. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they face the Niners, and everything is magically right again, the Saints offense or Mark Ingram stops fumbling and runs for over 100 yards. You've got a team that's bouncing back. You've got Arizona now who has been relying desperately on their defense. And really, they're a team that their point differential indicates a 10 win team. Um, and they don't. Yeah, 10 or they're, they're on they're on track or not yet on track for that because of the tie. So is this the game where we're like, well, here come the Cardinals and it, it's on the back of the 49ers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know uh, that it leads to necessarily the the long-term success, maybe, but I, I think it's going to be a good first step. Like, <laughs> it's, it's going to go pretty well for them this week, I think. Uh, I, I mean, I, you could see somebody like David Johnson running for, like, just all of the yards, like, just getting getting every one of them uh like uh, like a 200 yard game like really wouldn't be that out of the question um you know against this team with the the shape that front seven's in it looks like they're already bad uh and underperforming defensive line against the run uh is banged up i mean obviously we talked about Armstead being gone but a lot of the other guys up there uh aren't aren't in in the best health right now so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of scary to think that their offense could go on because, again, the defense, like you mentioned, hasn't been the problem. Like their defense has been, um, you know, generally very good over the course of the year. Um, And it's really just been the offense struggling to kind of hit the same highs uh, that they found last year. And, you know, I think part of that could be because uh, Carson Palmer played out of his mind last year and had a career year. And that's probably not something that was. Uh, all that sustainable considering how he played in the several seasons leading up to that. Um, So, you know, maybe their, their ceiling isn't quite as high, but, you know, they're obviously, I think going to look pretty good in in this game and, and kind of, you know, who knows whether that allows them to find their rhythm a little bit and, uh, and kind of carry that
0: on throughout the rest of the season. I think what will be curious for me is whether or not Bruce Arians decides to be stubborn and continue to pass the ball. Because at times in the first game, you're sitting there and you're like, David Johnson's getting like six yards a clip. Why are you dropping back to throw? Why are you, oh, you're, you're throwing again? That, that seems weird. You're, you're throwing again? That seems weird. Because Bruce Arians is, you know, channeling the magic of the Kangol, and he's going to throw the ball because Bruce Arians is going to Bruce Arians. And I wonder if that, if that really is what affords the 49ers defense a reprieve. Because there's no reason for the team to throw the ball. There just isn't against this defense. Keep doing it till they stop you. And, and so I'm most curious as to whether or not Arizona is going to try and be stubborn and try and get back to Arizona Cardinals football, which is, you know, kind of the closest thing to chuck and duck we have nowadays. And they're going to try it and it's not going to be as effective. And it's going to let the team hang around. And now all of a sudden, you know, you you maybe have a team that explodes for seven points in the third quarter and makes it close (laughs) oh god (laughs) um
1: yeah i i think uh you know kind of another interesting thing there is going to be kind of whether he's willing so not even you know if they're going to throw um you know as much as they have and kind of just decrease the overall volume there is it's whether or not they're going to kind of make any adjustments to their approach, right? Like their their style um and the thing that was really kind of great and made them fun to watch last year was how often they pushed the ball downfield. I mean, they uh Carson Palmer had if not the highest, one of the highest, you know, average depths of targets uh in, in the league like throwing the ball um you know generally like I think his average was over 10. So, which is is pretty kind of crazy. Not not very often do you see quarterbacks um you know above the 10 yards um, per attempt mark in the air. So yeah, they're, they're pushing the ball downfield. They want to throw vertically. Um, there's not, those aren't easy throws, right? Like those are, um, require a lot of things to go right for you to complete those at a, a high level and be able to do that consistently. Um, and everything, you know, again, broke right for them last year and, and, uh, they were all kind of on the same page and they have a great group of receivers and Carson Palmer played out of his mind and all kind of worked together. Um, But now, you know, there's there's not a a high margin of error there. So now when you see Palmer not playing quite as well, um, you know, those downfield throws aren't there as much. And so do they they make some adjustments to that? Do they try to, you know, mix in some easier stuff just to to be able to help them stay on schedule and kind of move the ball a little bit more consistently? Or, you know, again, like you mentioned, is he stubborn? Does he just kind of continue? We're going to do what we do and. Um, you know, not really think to make adjustments based on how their personnel is currently performing.
0: One of the players to watch for me in this game is is really just a collection of players, and that's going to be the pass rush. It, I found it interesting that the 49ers are actually ranked pretty like average in terms of pressure rate. They're not getting to the quarterback because I think they're tied for 26 in total sacks. But this is another year where they seem to be able to get a little pressure on some quarterbacks, but they're not able to get home. And Against an offensive line with the, the Cardinals that has been, again, hit with injuries, they're underperforming, and a quarterback that is not exactly mobile, you could have a game where they actually get to the quarterback and they actually get some sacks. So I'm curious whether or not you think that the combination of Bruce Arians kind of trying to stick to this Bruce Arians thing then also leads to more sacks, which again can keep the 49ers in the game.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it will, you know, lead to... Because like, one thing that I'd really like to see... I mean, the Arizona offensive line hasn't been, uh, you know, necessarily great in pass protection. I think, that, you know, they've been average, you know, maybe a little bit below average in terms of the amount of pressure that they're allowing. Um, so I, I think that it wouldn't be out of the question for the 49 Niners to, you know, generate some pressure and, and bother Car- Carson Palmer a little bit. Um, but it's really more... I, I think we need to see, and this is something that kind of been asking for for I think a lot of the season is is do we see Jim O'Neill you know try to generate some pressure because like you mentioned uh you know getting some hurries and stuff is is nice and I mean I think you know pressure the the overall sack numbers a lot of times um are are really overrated and and don't um necessarily indicate how well you know either a pass rush or pass protection is doing you have to look at the total amount of pressure that they're you know either creating or allowing but right now they're just not they don't have the guys you know defensively to be able to consistently just you know beat the man across from them and get pressure on the quarterback you know get those quarterback hits get those sacks um, that are really going to affect plays Um, and so I want to see do they attempt to uh, you know do anything from a, a blitz standpoint to try to generate more pressure right like the one strength of this team, like and, and I put strength in air quotes there, like one of the better aspects has been actually the pass defense. Um, You know, they're not terrible there. I think they're 19th currently in pass defense DVOA. So uh, which is kind of where we hoped this defense overall would get right. Like they yeah. kind of started to play better at the end of last year. I think they were they still finished like 27th or 28th, but they were like 21 uh, 21st in uh weighted DVOA, which puts a little bit more. Uh, weight towards games at the end of the year to let you know how teams are finishing the season. So they started improving and we hoped that that would kind of carry on uh, and we would see a defense that ended up somewhere around average. And uh, obviously the run defense has been a, a nightmare, but the pass defense has kind of done that, you know, they've, they've been right there. Um, they haven't been, you know, getting destroyed in the passing game in ways that they did at points last year. So, you know, I think you may be just with how this team's constructed Maybe you want to put a little bit more pressure on that secondary and try to send a couple guys, uh, you know, extra after the quarterback and see if you can, uh, you know, increase your your pressure
0: numbers there, get some more sacks, you know, end a few more drives early. All right. So we're going to call an audible here and we're going to do a quick buy or sell on a couple of ways you think the game is going to break. So I'm going to ask you to buy or sell kind of a, a statistic point as to how you think the final game stats are going to go. And then we'll get to the overall predictions and then we'll call it a show. And get back to hugging loved ones and or puppies and or drinking and <laughs> curling into a fetal position and crying. Uh So buy or sell the Cardinals as a team will have more than 180 rushing yards. Ooh, I'm Yeah, I'm going to buy that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So buy or sell the 49ers blitz rate on defense is going to be above 39%. Uh
1: I'm going to sell. I mean, I think it should be. But, uh, you know, at this point, based on what they've done, they haven't been really getting all that close
0: to those sort of numbers. Um, So uh, so I'm going to sell that one. All right. Buy or sell. Of course, last game, Larry Fitzgerald torched us. Uh, And really, this is the should Oscar start Larry Fitzgerald in fantasy question. Is Larry Fitzgerald going to get more than 15 fantasy points in this matchup?
1: And is this like... uh, uh, PPR or standard scoring here? What are we, what are we working uh, with? Uh,
0: I think in the league that I have them, it's a half point PPR.
1: If to everything else, like
0: pretty standard scoring though. Ten, yeah. One point, 10 yards, six points for touchdown. No points for getting pulled down by your dreads. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably going to go over that, uh, over that number. I mean, he just is a poor matchup for this defense. Like even if they've been better, you know, defensively stopping the pass, um, they just don't have anybody that can really consistently guard this type of player. You know, the, the bigger type of guys that live in the slot, um, they don't move, you know, generally, uh, defensive backs around to like shadow a player. Right. So, it's not a situation where like even which I don't even know if Rashard Robinson's going to be playing in this game. But no, he's no. not. Um, yeah. So even if they had somebody like that, like they don't just with what they do schematically, they don't really have them follow, you know, a receiver around the field, regardless of where he lines up. So I think when you look at Fitzgerald in the slot, like he's going to get a lot of snaps against, uh, you know, probably Eric Reed. He's probably going to see some Jimmy Ward. Like it's going to be a variety of guys. And I, I just don't think um, any of them match up all that well so there he's he's a problem in the middle of the field uh he's a problem in the red zone like I, i think it's
0: uh probably a pretty safe bet that he's gonna gonna score a touchdown in this game and then finally of course the the last time colin kaepernick faced the cardinals it was admittedly the worst game of his career two pick sixes four interceptions total is colin kaepernick's final quarterback rating at the end of this game above
1: 78 78 um yeah i i think we'll go i think we'll go slightly i don't think it's by much i think we'll go a little bit over that but um i yeah i think that he and with this offense too and like a lot of things they do like they're they're generally fairly safe with the ball um you know sometimes you know uh kaepernick Decides to
0: think that he can use the force and throw the ball through a player. Um, which yeah, what was that? Is that not was on that stupid works. interception? He saw that he was like, oh, I saw the linebacker the whole way. I thought I could beat him with a throw by throwing it at his face,
1: which is is uh questionable. Uh, looking at the tape as to whether he saw that guy. I mean, he is. I don't think locked he saw him in. Uh, like I you, think he's look locked at in. The... And
0: it was it was uh, a uh, it was a gap blitz pressure, right? So he's up at the line. I think Cap thought he was blitzing and was going to throw behind him. And then the guy dropped into coverage.
1: Yeah, I mean the the really crappy thing about that play in particular was uh, they they were in basically like a, a cover zero. Look, like there was no help anywhere. And if he would have just waited, right, waited for the the second window, so rather than trying to fit it in there in this super tight window in front of that linebacker that was dropping, if he waits for the two players um, that are coming across the middle there uh, to clear that defender, like there's a big gain there. Like I think it was, I forget which tight end it was McDonald or Selleck that was uh, coming on the dig Right, It was a little bit deeper, um, wide open, like in nobody in the middle of the field. Cause again, there's just no help defenders um, with, with the defense that New Orleans was running there. So uh, yeah. And you look at that, you know, the end zone cam there on the all 22 and you see where his head's going. And I mean, it is immediately over to that receiver. Uh, it really doesn't look like, I mean, obviously you can't tell for sure, but really, really doesn't look like he saw that guy at all.
0: All right, final question really quickly before we get to our predictions is, does Colin Kaepernick get more than 65 rushing yards this game?
1: That's a good number. Um, I think it ends up around there. Uh, I'll go... Um, I'll go over. I think he probably scrambles enough to where to where he gets over that number, um, because I don't think that we're going to see many receivers getting all that open in this game like there were uh, against the Saints defense. So I think that that part's going to change a little bit. I think you see him pull it down and take off a little bit more often. Um, So, yeah, I think uh, passing yardage goes down back again, probably under 200 Uh,
0: rushing total goes uh, back up to where it had been before last week. All right, so let's get to our predictions. Then on the season, we didn't pick in Week One or Week Nine. We had a bye week as well. Uh, David, you're four and one straight up, one and four against the spread. I'm five and zero straight up, two and three against the spread. Vegas line has Cardinals uh, at basically two touchdown favorites, thirteen and a half points, and the five thirty eight win probability is at eighty five percent for the Cardinals. So, give me your final score prediction uh, and whether or not they cover.
1: Um, I think they are going to cover, uh, at, at this point, it's just hard to imagine, even if they keep it closer for like a decent chunk of the game, like it, it it's just these, they've struggled to do it for all 60 minutes, right. And stay close. And these teams just, uh, ultimately pull away at the end. Uh, and I think that's what we see from Arizona. Like, I, I think that they're going to be able to move the ball offensively and, and put some points on the board. Uh, I'm going to say something like, uh, let's go 34 to 17.
0: So you oh they are gonna cover they're not gonna they're not the the cardinals are gonna cover yeah I think yeah I
1: think the cardinals are gonna cover yeah yeah
0: I, I agree I think the cardinals cover I think it's a loss in the desert um and and it's not it's not gonna be pretty uh, so yeah it's just gonna be uh it's gonna be one of those seasons y'all it's gonna be one of those seasons so I think that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast uh I will try and get an article up actually on Friday where we can discuss some more of these third quarter collapse items and figure out what the hell is going on there. Uh, David, where can they find you on the Twitters, my friend? It's going to be at David Newman with an underscore. Alright, they can follow you at David Newman. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. And uh, it's good to be back. Remember, uh, find a neighbor. Find someone. uh, Give them a hug. I think uh, America needs it just in general. That's going to be our, our,
1: uh, I think, maybe our call to action is uh,
0: hashtag hug it out. Yeah, hug it out. Absolutely. Not tug it out. Hug it out. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I mean, yeah, if you need to tug it out, you know, go, you do you. You do there's you. A, there's, th- that would literally be it. You tugging it out would be you doing you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode. Uh, enjoy the game because it will suck. And as always, go Niners.